Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Welcome to episode number 314 of the Essential Tennis Podcast. I'm excited about today's topic, and I got the idea by posting in our online Facebook group yesterday, which is just full of thousands of incredibly passionate, driven, focused tennis players all over the world. I just simply posted yesterday, I was kind of looking for some fresh ideas for a podcast episode. And today's topic is definitely not a fresh idea, but the number of questions that I received related to this topic just really caused me to think about it in a different way. And so I I made a post and I just simply said, hey, I'm looking for a podcast topic for tomorrow. How can I help you? And I probably received 30 or 40 responses. And the biggest theme was hands down about mental toughness. And the most common specific element that people were asking about revolved around being nervous, revolved around being tight. And I've seen this hundreds, maybe thousands of times throughout the last decade plus that I've been publishing content online super common. And I copied and pasted a couple of the specific responses that I received here. And you'll see the the commonalities here, the themes. Paul said, staying relaxed during a match. David said, how to not get tense when you're up in a set. Matt said, I play well, knocking around the ball and practice and drills, but I tighten up during matches. Is there anything I can do other than just play more matches? Jeffrey said, which adult-like beverage should I have before a match in order to relax? The raging nerves beast. That's pretty strongly, strongly stated. I, I like that, Jeffrey. So you see the theme here. P- people are essentially asking, how do I solve this problem of getting nervous? How do I solve this problem of getting tight? Well, we're going to get to that. First, I want to really specifically define what the problem is here. What you're really experiencing in the middle of a match or the beginning of a match or before a match even starts, when you feel that anxiety, when you feel that tension, what you're really experiencing is fear. That's the negative side of it. It could be excitement too. I've talked about this a little bit on the podcast before. Being excited is a great thing. It means you're looking forward to the challenge. You're you're really pumped about having this opportunity to compete, test your skills and display what you've learned and how far you've come in your game. But the negative side of that feeling is definitely fear. You're afraid. What are you afraid of? Well, you're afraid of what the outcome will mean about the investments that you've made. You have a large sunk cost in your tennis game. And the outcome of each individual match informs your inner self, your ego, about whether or not it was worth it. Your ego badly wants to know, is all this time, all this effort, all this energy, all this money, has it been worth it? And there's this little voice in the back of our heads that is terrified about what it will mean if the answer is no. What if the result of this match tells us that we're on the wrong path, we've wasted our time, we've wasted our money. And so we have this deep-seated fear of what that will mean for us. And not, it's not only time, effort, energy, and money. 
But we've invested social currency in this as well. In particular, if you're listening to my voice right now, you've gone out and done weird stuff on the court. You've done a bunch of maybe shadow swings or different drills. Maybe you've used video analysis. You're the only person in your zip code that's ever done video on a tennis court. Everybody's looking and wondering, what the heck are they doing? And so you've done all these things. You've you've gone outside the box. You've invested all this effort. And so when you step onto the court to play a match, that little voice in the back of your head is wondering, what if, what if, what if? And there's a lot of other examples in day-to-day life of this as well. I was just thinking in the car this morning about this. And the three first examples that came to mind for me were, number one, I, I tried to think of other times in my life that... I worked hard at something, I invested a lot of energy in something, and then it came time to test whether or not the outcome was what I worked hard for. And there's just a natural, there's anxiety or nerves or fear around that. The, the first example I thought of was taking a test in school, in college. I mean, you, you go through weeks or maybe even months preparing to be examined about a certain topic. You go in for that examination and you're really, really nervous about it. What if all this work doesn't pay off? What what will it mean if I fail? What if I don't pass the test? And as a result, I don't pass the class. Like There's big implications there. And the bottom line is you're afraid that all of this has been for nothing. How about a performance review at work, maybe you've got quarterly reviews or yearly or whatever. You pride yourself in what you do in your job and you work hard to be the best that you can be at what you do. And the last thing you want is for that to not be recognized or not be seen or not be, um, you, you, you badly want it to be affirmed by your peers and also by the people that are in charge, the people that are your overseers at work. And so you have that anxiety walking into the meeting. What if it wasn't good enough? Or what if they didn't see the great work that I did? Or they don't appreciate it? And there's a, that that fear there. And then the third example I thought of, maybe a little bit more on the extreme end, but I've got two kids, a nine-year-old and a five-year-old. How about raising a child? Now, I, I have not experienced this yet. But I can, only, I can only imagine when my daughter is 18 and she leaves, assumedly, to go to college or do whatever she's going to do when she reaches adulthood, man, I can only imagine what that feeling is like, having invested all of that time and emotional energy and money, of course, and like all, all of that, that desire to see those efforts pay off for that human that you've raised and you you want them to be successful of course and you want the best for them of course but there's that question you know there's that question of like what if and it's a big it's a big question so when we walk out onto the tennis court we have those same deep subconscious like questions the question is about to be answered in the form of the score and there's that kind of sense of judgment on what's about to happen. So hopefully I I haven't really brought you to a super negative place at this point, but this is the reality. Like this is the reality of it. You need to come to terms with the fact that it, it is there and this is what it is. And I'm kind of building this all up on purpose because the next point on my outline is simply this. 
you're supposed to be nervous. I'm going to repeat that because it's critical. You are supposed to be nervous. You're not, there's not some magical drill or mantra or routine or between point ritual or anything else that's going to take away that feeling. That feeling is priceless. That, that feeling tells us that we're doing something we care deeply about. And so just to illustrate this, my one of my personal favorite examples of professional players actually being vulnerable enough to talk about nerves, and a lot of them do, but I think tennis fans just, A, they're just not looking for it. It's not what gets shared, right? If, if the winner of a Grand Slam is like, man, I was super, super nervous before that, that match, everybody's like, okay, great. But did you see that forehand winner down the line on match point? That's what everybody wants to focus on is the incredible winner and the athletic display and the, the, the prowess of their elite performance during the match. That's, that's the sexy thing. That's the exciting thing. That's what inspires everybody, not being nervous. Nobody wants to hear that this person is actually fallible and they're, they're actually human. We, we like to see these elite athletes as superhuman. We like to see them as superheroes and they can do absolutely anything. But the truth is they feel those exact same feelings. In fact, on, the, on that stage that they're on, what they feel is way more intense than what we do. So I've got a couple of quotes here from an article. In 2016, Stan Wawrinka beat Novak Djokovic in the U.S. Open final. And in some interview, I don't know where the interview was, if it was right after the match or, or afterwards, here's a couple of quotes from an interview that he gave. Before the final, I was really nervous like I've never been before. I was shaking in the locker room, Wawrinka said. When we started talking, uh, meaning he and his coach, he was working with uh, Magnus Norman at the time. When we started talking five minutes before the match, the last few things with Magnus, I started to cry. I was completely shaking. But the only thing I was convinced with myself was my game was there. Physically, I was there. My game was there. Just put the fight on the court and you'll have a chance to win. And that's what happened. After a few games, when I started to believe in myself, I started to be in the match, and I had to put my crap together. Except he didn't say crap. I'll keep this family friendly. Sorry, that's how I say it, he said. He's shaking, he's crying before this match, and he goes on to win it. Now, listen. Listen to me carefully. There's only one reason why you wouldn't be nervous before any tennis match. I don't care if it's the U.S. Open final or if it's the back draw, you know, consolation draw of your 2.5 level NTRP, just local club tournament. All the way between, from one end of the spectrum to the other, there's only one reason why you would not be nervous, and that's that you just don't care. If you don't care about the game, if you have not invested in yourself, if you've not invested in your development as a player, if you have not invested in your skills, changing your habits, improving your body, improving your habits, improving your tactics, and everything else, if you hadn't invested all of that, 
and the outcome just didn't matter to you at all, then you wouldn't be nervous. And that's the only possible way that you won't be nervous before or during tennis matches. If you don't care and you don't work hard on your game to begin with, then that's the only possible way that those nerves are just going to disappear. So my biggest goal for you is to be done with the effort of trying to not be nervous. One of my favorite authors, and he has an excellent podcast as well. His name is Seth Godin. That's G-O-D-I-N, D as in Doug. Maybe you're familiar with him. He's written multiple, multiple bestsellers on the New York Times list. Kind of a business development, marketing, uh, and yeah, I guess that pretty much sums it up. Marketing, business development, and a little bit of personal development thrown in there as well. Psychology on his podcast for sure. He has this phrase that he likes to use. He says, you need to learn how to dance with the fear. Trying to avoid the fear by either not encountering it at all or feeling it and then trying to push it down or suppress it or push it away from yourself or, or say to yourself, oh, that's, that's a bad sign. It's, it's, a, it's a bad thing. I'm not, I'm, I must not be a great player because I feel this feeling. All of those things will only make it worse or cause you to never do anything that stretches you outside of your comfort zone ever in your life. And neither of those are good options. Completely avoiding the fear means you never do anything you truly care about and you never put yourself out there for the possibility of failure, which means you also never put yourself out there for the possibility of success to test yourself. And so let's just go ahead and agree if you're listening to me right now that that's not an option for you. Like you, you care deeply about the game or you wouldn't be listening to this episode in the first place. And so just leaving the game and doing things that are totally safe and benign and have no chance of failure or success is probably not an option for you, right? (laughs) I feel pretty safe in making that assumption. The other option, feeling the fear and trying to suppress it or trying to ignore it or pretend that it's not there, I've been down that path. And in my experience, it only leads to making it worse because it's like trying to ignore the itch that that uh, that you badly want to scratch, and like the more you think about it, the more you pretend it's not there, the worse it gets. And there's this kind of negative snowball effect that, in my experience, tends to happen when you when you notice it and you say, "Okay, I need to distract myself. I'm going to look at my strings, or I'm going to like hop up and down. Like I'm not going to." I make sure I don't I don't look at the people watching me because um, that's you know making me nervous and there's all these little like tricks that you're trying to do. Not that focusing your attention is bad or anything like that, but if it's like some kind of tactic or strategy to try to make nerves go away, then it just compounds it because there it's not going to fool you into not being nervous. Like you still care. That's not going to go away, and so you badly still want the outcome to be a certain thing. And so if you try to trick yourself into saying, oh, okay, never, it's, I'm going to tell myself it's a different score than what it really is or something like that, and you try to fool yourself into not being nervous, then the more the nerves persist, the more you're worried about them, and then the more nervous you get because you're nervous. And it's this really crappy and negative snowball effect. So what is the solution? The solution is to 
Learn how to dance with the fear, as Seth would say. Step number one is acceptance. If you care, then you're going to feel those feelings. And I mentioned earlier, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on it, but to a lot of people, and there's a, um, a great video about this online, Simon Sinek has a video about fear versus excitement. They're very much the same physiological experience, but for many, many people, feeling that feeling, they automatically classify as fear. They automatically put a negative connotation to that feeling of butterflies in their stomach. Why not just reframe it and say, you know what, I'm super excited about this match. And it might actually be the truth. It could be that for years and years, you've been classifying that feeling as fear or nervousness or tension or tightness, and you've just been excited and and pumped to go play the match. And it's something I've been thinking about for years now. And I got to say, there's many times where uh, it's it's an excellent thing. And I'm actually kind of looking forward to that feeling at this point. I'm looking forward to feeling those those nerves, that, that excitement. You could call it fear, nerves, uh, anxiety, whatever you want to call it. Recently, I played a match against a brand new opponent with cameras set up all around the courts, knowing that no matter what happened in that match, tens of thousands of people were going to see that match on the internet. And in a way, I mean, I mean, you could go either way. I guess it's kind of personal preference. In a way, you could make an argument for that being worse than tens of thousands of people watching it live. I don't know because I've never played in front of a live audience of tens of thousands of people. But there's a special kind of pressure about knowing that it's going to be on the internet in a very public place in front of you know a YouTube audience of 150,000 subscribers. And I'm starting to enjoy that now. And it's because years and years ago, I came to an acceptance of just knowing that it's just part of the process, the nerves. And I'm I'm not worried about trying to make them go away or force them away or trick myself or ignore them or anything like that. I I welcome that feeling with, with open arms is step number one. And then step number two is apply the circles of improvement and stay in the learning zone. I'm just gonna go over this concept really quickly If you can imagine a bullseye, I've talked about this on the podcast many times, imagine three circles, three rings, like an archery target, and you've got the bullseye right in the middle. That's your comfort zone. That's where you're used to staying. There's no challenge. There's no pressure. There's no stress there. You just keep doing what you've always done the way you've always done it. And the circle right outside the comfort zone is your learning zone. So this is stretching your comfort zone just a little bit outside of what you're comfortable with. And you're, you're feeling, feeling a little bit of that pressure, that stress, or, or that tension. And then the third circle outside of the learning zone is the panic zone. And that's where it's not constructive. That's where we're not getting any benefit from it. We're just freaking out. And it's such a high level of challenge that it's, it's no longer doing us any good. It's just a purely negative experience. So our philosophy as we teach students here at Essential Tennis, is to keep players in the learning zone. If they stay in their comfort zone, they don't improve. If we challenge them so much that they can't control themselves and they're in the panic zone, 
then it's not a positive experience for them either. They don't learn anything there because they're well beyond their ability to actually manage what's happening. And it's no longer a constructive experience. And so you need to apply that same philosophy, that same framework to your comfort level with being uncomfortable, your comfort level with dancing with the fear. So a way that you could do this is to just create a checklist of different ways of adding pressure to a, a, a game situation. So just totally random example. This, this was literally just the first thing that came to mind. Set up a cross-court rally game with a partner. So if you're right-handed, your partner's right-handed, just hit four hands on the deuce side of the court. You'll hit back and forth with each other on the deuce half of the singles courts, and only the deuce side of the court is in. And so one of you will feed to the other person's forehand. You'll hit back and forth cross courts. If either of you hits the ad side of the court, it's out. If either of you hits the doubles alley, it's out. In the net, you lose the point. Past the baseline, you lose the point, et cetera, et cetera. And so just with that simple setup, working on your forehand, you can set up un unlimited number of scenarios and stipulations. You could use the whole half of the court and play a game up to 10. Or you could put a towel down on both sides of the court and aim for the towel. That's a really cool target because you don't have to worry about tripping over it. But when the ball hits the towel, it kind of causes the towel to bounce up in the air. So you, you get kind of a visual confirmation of when the ball hits the target. So you could play a game up to 10. You could play first person to hit the towel five times, wins. And now the fun part, you can come up with all kinds of different things that happen at the end of the game. You can come up with all kinds of different challenges or punishments or whatever word you want to call it, some, some kind of consequence for not winning the game. So layer number one could be just playing for the points. Just keeping track of score is enough to push a lot of people out of their comfort zone. I know because all I used to do all day was be on a tennis court and facilitate learning and practice and training for average tennis players. And I know from experience that just keeping track of score is more than enough to cause a lot of tension and fear and, and anxiety from a lot of players. Just keeping track of score might be enough for you to be in your learning zone and feel that feeling and become one step more comfortable with it being there and learning how to execute the game you know you can play in that environment. And let, let me just pause right there for a second. And be really clear on this because I don't think it's in my outline. We're just about through my outline here. Being an elite performer in tennis or anything else is not about not feeling fear. It's not about not being nervous. The, the elite players that we look up to and idolize, they have their incredible performances, not because there's an absence of nerves, but they're elite because they're able to do what they do with the nerves being there. I want to be really clear about that. And that's why I read the whole Stan Wawrinka quote was just to illustrate that, but just to kind of say it another way. It's, they're not special because they don't feel nerves. They're special because of what they're able to do while feeling those feelings, just to be really clear on that. And so for a lot of tennis players, just keeping track of score brings those feelings about. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with you. Don't judge yourself. Just hang out there and practice and train and feel it and practice executing the game you know you should be able to execute with that feeling there. 
And then once you get pretty comfortable with that, and you will if you consciously work on it, this is just like improving a forehand or a serve or anything else. You have to put in the repetitions, put yourself out of your comfort zone just a little bit to where you're in the learning zone, and then hang out there until you've mastered that next level. Then push yourself one little step further and then hang out there until you've mastered that level, so on and so forth. Repeat, 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 repeat. This is how elite performers are developed. They are not born. It's, it's not that they're robots and they just don't feel the fear. They feel it, but they've trained the ability to respond at elite levels of performance anyway. That's really what makes them special. So you could just play for points or you could play, here's a bunch of other random ideas. You could play for push-ups. Whoever loses has to do 10 push-ups or whatever physical challenge, burpees or air squats or whatever. You Just fill in the blank. You could play for 20 bucks or 10 bucks or $1 or whatever, $1,000, whatever it is like for you, whatever is meaningful enough for you to, to put something on the line and add that little bit of extra pressure. So you're playing up to 10, loser pays $1,000. That would be pretty hardcore. I don't think I've ever heard. That happens in golf all the time, but I don't think I've ever heard of that happening on a tennis court. I'm sure somewhere at some point that that's happened. You could play for a round of drinks afterwards. Loser buys beers or a glass of, glass of wine for the opponent afterwards. You could play for dinner. You could play for a selfie video. The loser has to make a selfie video saying for 60 seconds how amazing the other player is for them to post on their social media <laughs> account. What, whatever. I, we could, if we all team together, we could come up with a thousand different things to put on the line and different people will respond to different elements on that list in different ways. Some people, the the whole social, you know, aspect, the video thing is like the worst thing ever. It will cause them to be super nervous. Other people don't care about that. They'll make a selfie video all day. Some people, $10, who cares? Like whatever, like you, they won't feel nervous at all. Other people hate losing money and it will cause them a tremendous amount of stress and pressure. The bottom line is you have to poke and prod at yourself, push yourself out of your comfort zone on purpose hang out there, and then learn how to dance with the fear, to use Seth's phrase. Different people have different triggers for those nerves, but the bottom line is you need to expose yourself to that fear frequently in a controlled environment and then make progressive steps to get closer and closer to maximum pressure while learning how to continue to use the skills, the habits, the patterns, the techniques and the swings that you know you can do, but when you feel those nervous feelings, it causes you to use something different. For me personally, I've, I've done a lot of work on this and I'm to the point now where no matter how bad I'm playing, uh, no matter what the stakes are at this point, I, I pretty much enjoy that feeling. Even with all the cameras all around the court, I'm to the point now where it's it's pretty, I don't want to say routine, but I, I like I feel the feelings, but I enjoy it instead of dreading it. And it's been years and years and years of conscious being mindful of, of my performance, be mindful of my response to those feelings. It's something you can train and develop if you do it mindfully and on purpose. So hopefully 
This has given you a good framework to think about nervousness on the court. It's also given you some ideas on how to work on it and develop yourself in that way to be able to respond and play your best when it really matters the most. Thank you for listening. This is a huge topic. If you found it helpful, do me a favor and just shoot me an email. Let me know. My email address is ian, I-A-N, at essentialtennis.com. For more free game-improving instruction, be sure to check out EssentialTennis.com, where you'll find hundreds of video, audio, and written lessons. Also, be sure to subscribe to Essential Tennis on iTunes and YouTube, where we are the number one resource in the world, providing passionate instruction for passionate tennis players. Thank you so much for listening today. Take care, and good luck with your tennis.